This evening we're looking at actually just one verse from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 32. Please turn there in your Bibles. First Corinthians 15, and I'm actually only reading half a verse, the end of verse 32. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Let's pray together. Oh God, we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit now as we consider this logic that the apostle sets before us. If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. Lord, help us to consider this theme and to explore it and to understand rightly what the apostle means and what bearing it has upon our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I'm still not, I'm not sure if anyone still uses the phrase but you may recall that at least a few years ago, people were using the acronym YOLO, Y-O-L-O. -O. They were using it in text messages and all kinds of uh, social media posts and stuff like this. And it means, it stands for, you only live once, Y-O-L-O. -O. A number of people even started using the phrase YOLO verbally, meaning the same thing. Like, I'm going to spend my life savings and backpack around Europe. YOLO, you only live once. My most memorable encounter with this phrase was playing tennis with a friend, and neither of us were particularly good at tennis. I'm still not actually even 100% convinced that we entirely understood and knew the rules of tennis. But here we were in a friendly, casual game of tennis, and the game played out like this. My friend had a killer overhand serve that I could not return. But the problem was he was only able to land his serve in bounds probably about 50% of the time. And if he served it underhand, then he was sure to put the ball in play. But I was winning more than 50% of our rallies as I was a little more athletic moving around the court. It came down to the final serve. And my friend was deliberating aloud whether to take the chance with the overhand serve and risk putting it out of bounds or whether he should take the risk and putting the ball in play but then needing to win the rally against me. And after pacing back and forth a little bit in deliberation, my friend very suddenly and surprisingly yelled YOLO and went immediately into an overhand serve which landed and scored a point easily as I was far from able to return the serve, not least because I had no skill, but secondly, because I was doubled over on the ground laughing. Whether used in jest as above in uh, the story I just told you, or 
whether used more seriously. YOLO signifies the idea of living life to the fullest, taking risks, doing something special, out of the ordinary, trying to get the most out of life because you only live once. And did you know that that concept appears in the Bible? Note well that I didn't say the word or the phrase YOLO, but the concept appears in the Bible. There are those who, in the Bible, employ the concept of YOLO to justify their lifestyle of living for the best experiences that they can here and now because you only live once. I've entitled my message tonight, The Danger of Living for Experience. But it could just as well be entitled The Danger of YOLOism, in contrast to materialism, which we talked about this morning. Some people couldn't care less about possessions, but they are ever chasing new and interesting experiences. Isn't this the YOLO concept? So let's look together this evening at the most prominent biblical instance of YOLOism. In 1 Corinthians 15, 32, Paul admits, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And Paul is quoting from Isaiah 22:13, in which the inhabitants of Jerusalem are surrounded by the Babylonians. And they say to one another, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. God had promised salvation to these people if they would but humble themselves and seek his face. Isaiah 22:12 says, In that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth. But did the people cry out to the Lord? No. It goes on. In that day the Lord God of hosts called for weeping and mourning, for baldness and wearing sackcloth, and behold, joy and gladness, killing oxen and slaughtering sheep, eating flesh and drinking wine, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. These people lived as though there was no salvation, as though this was the end of all things, as though there was no God, no rescue, no forgiveness, no eternity, and these people plunged themselves into a nihilistic hedonism. And of great interest to, our, to us in our study tonight, Paul quotes them somewhat approvingly. The way that Paul cites this Old Testament text is by agreeing with the Jews of old that if the premises of their argument were correct, then their conclusion also would be correct. Paul's restatement of their argument could go something like this. Premise one, if the dead are not raised, then we don't have tomorrow, so to speak. Premise two, however, it's self-evident that we do have today. Conclusion, enjoy life as much as you can. Live life to the fullest. Chase whatever experiences make you happy. YOLO. You see it there? Isn't this the way that many people reason today? There is no life after death, so we don't have tomorrow, so to speak, but we do have today, 
So live life to the fullest. YOLO. There it is again. Do you see that it's the same concept? Though the terminology is different. Back in the 6th century BC, as the Babylonians surrounded Jerusalem, people inside might as well have been shouting YOLO. Because that's exactly how they were thinking. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Back in the 1st century AD, as Paul was living and ministering in the Roman Empire after Christ's ascension, the unbelieving world might as well have been shouting YOLO because that's exactly how they were thinking too. YOLO might be a new phrase, but it's not a new concept. The millennials or Generation Z or Z or whoever it was that invented the term YOLO were just articulating the worldview of many, many people who have gone before us the world over in generations past. I don't think that the term YOLO has actually ever come out of my mouth, except when quoting someone else. I don't use the term. I don't intend to add it into my uh, regular diction. You might not use the term either. But do you employ the concept? Do you live like the Jews of old, and like those who rejected Paul's ministry, do you live as if there is no God? Do you live as if there is no rescue, no forgiveness of sins, no eternity? Have you given yourself over entirely, or do you at least at times give yourself over to a sort of nihilistic hedonism? Do what makes you happy. You're here for a good time, not a long time. You ever lived like that? Listen, it doesn't have to be gluttony and drunkenness and illicit sex and the like. There is a more refined sort of YOLOism too. Robert Frost's poem, The Road Not Taken, begins like this. Two roads diverged in yellow wood. Sorry, I could not travel both and be one traveler. Do you ever feel sorry that you cannot travel two paths at once? That you can't do everything this world has to offer? Frost continues talking about the choice he made, saying of the other road, oh, I kept the first for another day, yet knowing how way leads on to way. I doubted if I should ever come back. Do you realize that for you, some of the roads of this world will ever remain untraveled? Does it make you heartsick that knowing how way leads on to way, you may never again have some of the options that were open to you before? Some doors have already closed. Some ships have already sailed. More doors are closing. More ships are sailing. Does this realization stir a strong desire in you to get out there and do something out of the ordinary? Something new, something risky, 
something gratifying, something pleasurable? Does it make you want to eat and drink life in, so to speak? Or tomorrow you die? You see, YOLOism can appear innocuously, simply as a zest for life. Attend the theater or the opera house. Make reservations with your wife at the restaurant you've been wanting to visit. Take a trip with the kids. Take up a new hobby, etc. And none of these are wrong in and of themselves. But can you see how the heart underneath it can be as pagan as the unbelievers to whom Paul ministered? You can live that way, motivated by a heart that believes there is no God. No rescue, no forgiveness, no eternity. That all we have is today. A heart that believes death is on the doorstep and then that's it. Eat and drink, life in now, because the end is nigh. As I mentioned a few moments ago, Paul agrees that that would be the correct way to live if the dead are not raised. Paul agrees with the validity of the argument presented by his opponents. If the dead are not raised, then we don't have tomorrow, so to speak. But it's self-evident that we do have today. So if you grant that those two premises are true, then it makes sense. Enjoy life as much as you can. Live life to the fullest. Chase whatever experiences make you happy. YOLO. But Paul takes issue with the truth of one of those premises. He throws a monkey wrench into the YOLOist mentality of his opponents. See, the problem with YOLOism is that the dead are raised. The problem with YOLOism is that the dead are raised. Look at 1 Corinthians 15 again, but this time at verse 20, which undergirds Paul's entire thought process in this chapter. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. Paul reiterates, as the rest of the apostles had done before him, that Christ has been raised. And he explains that since Christ has been raised, it is not rational to argue that since the dead are not raised, we don't have tomorrow. Christ's resurrection proves the falsity of the premise that the dead are not raised. One of the premises in the YOLOist argument has been shown to be false, and so the conclusion is not true. It's not just eat and drink for tomorrow we die, because there actually is tomorrow. There's a resurrection. According to Paul, Christ has been raised. And more than that, he is the first fruits. Like the first apple that you get off a tree in the season, which is the harbinger of many more to come. Christ's resurrection is the harbinger of many more resurrections to come. The scripture teaches actually that all will be raised from the dead, the just 
and the unjust. Some to a resurrection of blessedness and some to a resurrection of eternal blessedness, or pardon me, eternal punishment. So not all the same type of resurrection. But we all have both today and tomorrow, so to speak. We have this life and the life to come. And since the dead are raised, and we have both today and tomorrow, then it is short-sighted to live only for today. There's a movie called The Bucket List in which Jack Nicholson and Morgan Freeman star as terminally ill patients who leave the hospital foregoing any future treatment and they're just trying to knock off as many items off of their list of things that they'd like to do before they kick the bucket or die. That's why it's called The Bucket List. They spend extravagant amounts of money doing all kinds of exciting, out-of-the-ordinary things, knowing that the end is coming soon and they won't need the money anymore. Well, squandering your wealth like that might make some degree of sense if you're an elderly, terminally ill person. I won't comment further on that because that's not the point I'm really trying to make. The point I'm trying to make is that squandering your wealth like that for sure would not make sense if you're a healthy person in your 40s with a family to provide for. If you only have today, then you're free to think only of today. But if you have today and tomorrow, then you better think about tomorrow too. And since we all have tomorrow, YOLOism is dealt a fatal blow. The mentality that we are here for a good time, not a long time. That we should eat and drink in all that we can here and now because there's nothing left once the sand and the hourglass runs out. That we should do whatsoever makes us happy because in the end, that's all that matters. That worldview, whatever you want to call it, living for experiences, YOLOism, whatever you want to call it, that worldview is dealt a fatal blow. because of the reality of resurrection, which awaits us all, some to eternal blessedness and some to eternal punishment. Now in view of this, then, let's consider now what we must replace YOLOism with. As I read earlier, Frost says of the road not taken, oh, I kept the first for another day. Yet knowing how way leads on to way, I doubted if I should ever come back. There is a sense in which we never return to the exact same fork in the road. There is a sense in which way does indeed lead on to way, and we are never able to come back and try the other path. There's a proverb that says that you never put your foot in the same stream twice. Meaning that though you are still in the same place, the water flowing over your foot the second time is not the same as the water that flowed over your foot the first time. So you may return to your hometown, but things have changed. You may get in touch with an old friend, but he's changed or she's changed. You may take up employment again where you were once employed before, but it's not the same. 
there's a sense in which you can never go back. And so Don Henley says in The Boys of Summer, don't look back. You can never look back. But in another sense, we may keep paths for another day, as Frost wrote in The Road Not Taken. Understanding that as Christians, we have an eternity to live with God in a renewed world should make us feel less urgent to fit it all in on this side of eternity. Consider brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus that our Savior ate fish after his resurrection. Listen to Luke 24, 36 to 43. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate before them. Consider also that Romans 8.21 tells us that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we are not going to an ethereal realm of disembodied spirits. Neither are we going to a realm in which the available activities and experiences before us are limited to playing harps, sitting on clouds, or sitting in and participating in endless church services. That's not what awaits us. Brothers and sisters, God in Christ is restoring all things, making all things new. And we are going to live in that new world in which, as the resurrected Christ demonstrated to us, it is as possible to eat fish and walk down the road with your friends as it is to worship. Consider how that ought to decrease our sense of urgency to experience the sights and sounds of this world. Which, as the scripture tells us, is presently still in bondage to corruption. Brothers and sisters, we as Christians literally have forever there are pleasures forevermore at the right hand of God. And though we'll be renewed and sinless beings, we'll still be human beings with the ability to experience real human pleasures. And God will not leave us in a state of deprivation for eternity, but will richly supply whatever is necessary for our eternal enjoyment of him. And we will enjoy him as our redeemer and we will sing the praises of the Lamb, And we will meditate on the gospel. 
We will enjoy him as our redeemer, the father who planned, the son who came and accomplished, the spirit who applied. But brothers and sisters, we will also enjoy God forever as our creator. We won't remember fondly those old days when we used to live in the world that he made. We're still going to be living in a world that he made. And we're going to be living in a world that he fixed. A world that's not in bondage to corruption anymore. For creation itself will have been set free. If you're a Christian, don't think to yourself, I know I have God for eternity, but I won't have anything else once this life is over. So I better enjoy everything else here and now. Instead, think to yourself, I have God here and now. The blessedness of it. And I have God forever. And I have the promise of a restored everything else for all of eternity once this life is over. That's how richly we are supplied in Christ Jesus. The afterlife that awaits us is far better than most of us have imagined so far. If we work out the implications of what limited things the scripture does tell us, it begins to be a mind-blowing, soul-stirring taste, just an appetizer of what is to come. Christian, this is really not your best life now. Don't feel like you only live once and you've got to get it all in now because things are getting worse. Christian, you literally have forever in a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, where creation itself is free from its bondage to corruption, where you can as feasibly eat fish and walk down the road with your friends as worship. Christian, think on that over and over. The hope of eternity with God in the new heavens and the new earth until Yoloism is exposed for the fraud that it is. And then when Yolo is sufficiently, sufficiently weakened, live according to God's revealed will as opposed to your urgent cravings for more temporal experiences. Chase obedience throughout the remainder of your life here, instead of chasing new and exciting experiences throughout the remainder of your life here, knowing that you as a Christian can save many paths for another day. And though way leads on to way, there is much that you can go back and revisit in eternity. There's not so much discontinuity that it's all gone forever. Christian, you literally have forever. Unbelievers, however, I want to address you very earnestly as I come to a conclusion here. You have tomorrow also. 
but not a tomorrow to look forward to. A tomorrow separated from God, cast out of his presence, and cast out of the new heavens and the new earth, free from its bondage to corruption. Unbeliever, a tomorrow in outer darkness, as the Bible describes it, is what awaits you. A tomorrow where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. In view of that, the YOLO impulse makes a little more sense for you than it does for us Christians. But it makes even more sense to trust in the one who died. More than that, was raised who is at the right hand of God and intercedes for his people. Jesus is well able to save you from your sin and to bring you also to live with him in the renewed world that I just described. When Jesus died, he died as a substitute for us sinners so that God would not be obligated to punish us forever as we deserve, but so that God could justly be gracious to us and welcome us home to him in eternity with open arms. Consider that in fact, Christ has been raised. And so there is tomorrow. There is tomorrow for all of us. May we all make sure by trusting in Christ Jesus that it is a tomorrow of blessedness in a renewed world where we may finally walk paths that we have kept for another day.